You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Today is the 4th of July. Happy Independence Day, listeners. I am so excited, as usual, about... (laughs) everything. God is doing a lot. And um, for those of you that don't know, I am going to be in Louisiana, Lake Charles, with uh, Only Believe Ministry, hosted by Willie Richmond. And on July 19th and 20th, we are going to be having a Strengthened with Might conference. What what are we doing? Uh, There's going to be a huge focus on the human spirit, strengthening the human spirit, activating the human spirit, and so forth. And so if you're in the area and you'd like to attend, you can find details at our website, brideministriesinternational.com. We're going to be at 1551 West Prien Lake Road. That's uh, W-P-R-I-E-N, West Prien Lake Road in Lake Charles. And you can reach out to OnlyBelieveMinistry.com for more details as well. Looking forward to being there. Now, uh, there's a lot of other things that are coming up, like the near release of my book, Advanced Prayers to Shake Heaven and Earth. Uh, I've gotten some questions. Are there going to be pre-orders? And the answer is yes, we will do pre-orders. Right now, the book is at my editor's, and it is getting edited. (laughs) which is exactly what happens at the editor, right? So um, I'm going to be getting that back in a you know, few days when, when, when the editor's all finished with it and um, we'll be adding and making a few changes. And then it's going to be all about book cover design. Once the cover is designed, we're going to move into production. At that point, we'll begin taking pre-orders. There'll be a product posting at our website and uh, this book promises to be a game changer. It is the next phase of tools that I am using in my work with satanic ritual abuse survivors, government-sponsored mind control survivors, uh, targeted individuals, and those that have all manner of bondage, extending from demonic bondage to synthetic and technological bondages. And we are seeing breakthrough in all of it thanks to the language of the tools that you will find in that book. So look forward to that. Also, Uh, We are going to be having our advance in the fall. Guess what? It's sold out at the moment. But we are working on securing some extra seats. (laughs) So, um, you know, I'll be giving updates about that. But but for now, uh, man, this is going to be a powerful, powerful event. So for those of you that are signed up, I can't wait to see you there in October. Um, All the details, of course, brideministriesinternational.com. And... As far as this week, we are going to be enjoying another testimony from Jan. I can't wait to get to her. Before I do, I just want to give a shout out and a thank you to all of our supporters that continue to sow into us faithfully. We are just so grateful for everything that you do and you need to know that you are storing up treasures in heaven. And you know, some people say, why, why do we give? Why do we really give? And here's the deal, right? Uh, 
the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And when we do not sow anything into the kingdom, uh, it's a reflection of what's in our heart. If it is rooted in your heart not to give, and it doesn't matter if it's to us or other ministries and kingdom building work. If you can't give, you have to ask yourself, where is your heart really invested? But for those of you that continue to support us, we know where your heart's invested, and so does Jesus. And so I want to say thank you, and uh, we are just so grateful for you. If you would like to start sewing, you can go to BrideMinistriesInternational.com. We have a donate page. makes it real easy. We even accept cryptocurrency. So with that said, we're going to get right to the program. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Folks, you're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. I'm Dan Duvall, in case you were wondering. And we are going to be going there today. And I'm going to just throw this out there right at the beginning. Trigger warning. Uh, we're going to be talking about some dicey subjects today. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend the entire podcast today to little ones, you know, the little uh, People we call children, um, but we are going to be getting into some fascinating subjects, some revelatory things. My guest is Jan, and many of you have gotten to know her by now, fallen in love with her, and uh, just had your hearts grasped by the um, wow, the candid uh, nature of her story and and what she's been through. She is a survivor of satanic ritual abuse and government-sponsored mind control. And she is extraordinarily brave. Jan, welcome back to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Thank you, Dan. I'm so glad to be back to be able to finish this. Well, not finish the story, maybe, but continue the story as far as we get on it. And uh, I have to tell you, I've waited a long, long time because I've wanted to uh, be able to share the story. Um, in the beginning, I thought if I could just share it when I get well enough to share it. And so it's just, it's really a pleasure to be able to do it. And I thank you for the opportunity. Well, it's my pleasure to be able to give you the opportunity. And, you know, here's the thing, right? Uh, every time I have a survivor share their story, someone is getting a breakthrough. Someone is experiencing an awakening. Someone's programming is breaking down and the light of God's truth, the revelation of Jesus Christ is getting a window to enter into the darkness and bring something that God has for his children. And so uh, that 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 is why and i just am so grateful that you know you you are allowing yourself to be used by god to be an instrument of redemption for other people and that goes for all of the survivors that we bring on the podcast to interview and to have share their stories and you know we've done a number of uh, programs together jan and what i wanted to do is firstly say folks if you have not heard her previous interviews, look up Journeying with Jan. You can just go to BrideMinistriesInternational.com. You can look up our podcast, 
uh, on the website and, and find them with a quick search or you can find them at YouTube and blog talk radio and Spreaker and on and on and on. all these other places we've put our stuff. But uh, Jen, before we get started into the meat and the nitty gritty, why don't you just give us a little bit of review of some of the ground that we've tracked to get to where we are today? Oh, thank you, Daniel. Um, so I was, um, I got saved by my aunt, she, by Jesus, but my aunt prayed for me and cast out a demon. And um, I had never been churched before. And so I started going to a fairly large um, Pentecostal church. And um, just about as soon as I got into the church, within a couple months, I started having uh, demonic problems. <laughs> So, so that was in my last podcast. I told how all that went down. And, and uh, the, the bottom line is I ended up getting kicked out of that church. And um, because the pastor said they just couldn't have that going on and they didn't, they had a deliverance team, which was pretty amazing really for that time it was 1995 and not that many churches had deliverance teams, I don't think, but, uh, but they weren't really equipped to handle the depth of the programming and the, and the, uh, the extent of the demonic uh, inhabitation that I had. And so he asked me just not to come back, so, which was, I was so shocked at first because I thought, wow, who gets kicked out of a church? But you know, over the years, I found out that a lot of people get kicked out of churches. It's not that unusual. It is not that unusual, Jen. And I could literally name off a register of people that I've connected with who have personally been kicked out. And uh, <laughs> I am on the list. So please. I'm thinking when we get to heaven, there'll be a special little, you know, club. <laughs> People that got kicked out of churches here on earth. <laughs> That's my fantasy. So, so anyway, um, I, w I went about trying to find a new church for three or four weeks. And um, I had a friend in, my, in the church that I was kicked out of that had helped me with some deliverance and um, helped me one night to keep me safe and, and uh, try to get help for me. And she came to me about three or four weeks after I was kicked out. And she said, Jan, there's a revival service going on in this little church in the south of town. You should come down. So I was ready. I, I liked revival. I'd never been in one, but I heard they were good. So I headed down to that little church, and oh, my gosh. It was a tiny little church. There might have been like 40 members there, I would say. It might have held 100 people. But they had a guest evangelist in, and he was – he just was very anointed, and uh, there was a lot of um, powerful things going on in the spirit there. And so I just started going every night. It was like five nights a week, and I just, I just started attending every single night. And people started showing up from all over town, including a lot of my friends from my old church that I got kicked out of. <laughs> so... So I started growing in the Lord. Um, that evangelist ended up uh, having other um, commitments and had to leave, and they brought in the second one. And so he, he continued on, and, and that went on for a whole bunch of months. At the same time the revival was going on, I had bought a church and remodeled it and was living in the church. And I talked about this in my last podcast that I was going through a lot of deliverance. The Lord was just bringing uh, deliverance and the building was full of angels and, and demons. And 
it was like an open vision and uh, the Lord had totally taken charge and was just starting to take me through deprogramming processes. And so that was happening in the daytime in my church home. And then at night I was going to these revival services. And I also found another church that ended up being my Sunday morning church. And that church became my real church home. And um, so the pastor there was... Um, just a really lovely man. And I was not comfortable going and sitting in that church without sharing with him some of my history and letting him know. And that's, that's always for me has always been um, an, uh, a complicated issue because on the one hand, I don't want to sit under someone and then not know my history. But on the other hand, at, at least at that time, um, most of the pastors didn't really have a concept of what ritual abuse was or especially government-sponsored mind control. That wasn't even on the radar. And so it was always a mixed bag. I always, I always uh, revealed that when I, you know, when I went to a new ministry. But sometimes there was acceptance and sometimes there was just a lot of fear. And so this pastor was very accept, accepting. And um, he actually prayed for me. Uh, I, was, I, I told him I had a lot of fear because I was still in the town that I grew up in. So the local cult was all around and I would even see them, you know, in restaurants and places. I would, you know, I encountered them from time to time in the physical realm. And um, so he told me that Jesus could protect me. And that was a total, that was like, off my radar. I'm, you know, I was new in the Lord. And I'm like, I told the pastor, I said, you know what? These people are real. They have guns. They kill people. You know, he says, well, Jesus can protect you. He can. And you know, the man was so full of faith and believed it. And when he prayed for me, I believed it. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, uh, on that subject, that is a very tough message. The idea that Jesus can be a protector. Um, I, and, and I'm sure there was a mix of emotions uh, on, on the route of having that conversation with him. What would you say to survivors uh, that are battling with the idea that Jesus can be a protector? I just want to uh, ask you that before we go on. Well, I wish I had a really clear-cut, definitive answer. But you know what? The reality is these people are real. And they can get through prayer. And they can harass. And they can... I've got a story that I want to tell later on in this podcast of when I was abducted. Mm -hmm. And um, that was before I had Jesus to protect me officially. <laughs> but... Um, you know, he can. He can really provide us a lot of protection. Even before I really knew him, when I lived in this church, the church, you couldn't lock it. The front door, you could just push it open. So all this time that this deliverance was going on, um, I really didn't have any physical protection uh, from the cult. And they were all around. And so uh, he did protect me in that way. And um, so I, you know, I can't, I, 
the, the issue I have is I know there are other survivors that do get attacked. They do get followed. They do get abducted. They do get hurt. And so I don't want to say it never happens because it does happen. Uh, that's the, the nature of the, the reality of our background and our history and our lives, really. That's true. And, and, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, I even look at Paul in the book of Acts when I look at the subject of being a targeted individual. Um, he escaped out of a city being lowered over the city wall in a basket. Um, he had to leave. And sometimes uh, the protection of God is, well, in some people's cases, the instruction to leave town literally leave town um, because of the physical element of the whole conversation. These are physical people with physical weapons. Um, but from the spirit world, there are extraordinary, extraordinary testimonies that I've heard personally of Jesus stepping in or having angels step in and absolutely shifting things when there was no other way. Uh, like when Jesus walked right through the midst of the crowd that wanted to throw him off the cliff. God still does these kinds of things for people today. And it's, um, it's real. Anyway, continue telling your story. It is, it is very real. And I might just add one more little caveat to that. Um, I left my family immediately when I found out about the sexual abuse. Mm. With the thought that I would be able to go back, re-engage with them when I got the healing. Well, the healing never came. So I never re-engaged with my mother and my father. But it took me a long time to be able to leave the area, to leave the town where this all happened. And even now, there are periods of time when that draw to go back home, to go back to my roots, to go back to where the, it all began, is, comes very strong. And so when I hear of people that go back and back and back to where they were abused, I understand that. It's real. It's, and I think also there's oftentimes programming for that, callback times, when you are called from a very deep level of programming to go back and re-engage with your local cult or other programmers. So, Absolutely true callback programming is a big problem for uh, a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you're exposing that, Jen, you know, and, and, and folks, um, that's one of the reasons why I love doing these podcasts, right? Because as we talk about these things and, 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 and expose the nature of how people get manipulated, um, it becomes an alarm bell and a revelation. And even if a person has callback programming that's getting triggered. If the presenter is aware that what they're experiencing is called callback programming and they have a name for it and they have a reveal on the, the deception, there can be a resistance mounted that will prevent the evil objective from being carried forward. And uh, that, that, that to me is, it, it, is really good. So, okay. So you're, 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 you're talking to this guy. He's putting faith on the inside of you, praying for you. It's like Jesus can protect you. Continue walking us through your, your experience there. So I ended up being at that church for a number of years. 
And uh, I even got baptized there, which I was baptized when I was eight years old because my mother got baptized. I don't remember having any real feelings about Jesus or wanting to follow Jesus. In the Baptist church, <laughs> everybody went forward at eight, nine, ten, and just got baptized. That was just what you did. And so when I got into this new church, um, I really felt the, the pull of the Lord to, to get baptized and to, um, to enter into that covenant with him. And so there, I think there were about six of us that night that were getting baptized. And there was this huge electrical storm. I, it was so, the lightning was everywhere. It was just crashing. The lights in the building were flashing on and off and on and off. <laughs> and I'm standing in line waiting to go into the water. <laughs> and my pastor is just like, didn't bother him one bit. You know, he's just baptizing away. <laughs> and so, <laughs> that just reinforced that whole idea of this guy know what he's talking about. You know, he, he believes this stuff. <laughs> so anyway, it was okay. We didn't get electrocuted or anything. Baptism went fine. And so that was, that was great. So in the meantime, when, uh, while I'm, while I've got my new home church and I'm going to this little Pentecostal church where all of this, the Holy spirit is there and we're having all kinds of, uh, manifestations and, and, uh, wonderful, we, wonderful things. We start singing in the spirit, which was one of the things I love, have always loved to do. And um, it was very much like an, a choir, like a heavenly choir. We would just start singing and everybody had their part and it all fit together perfectly, just like an orchestra. I, I mean, experiences like that just made me wow. more and more and more excited about being a Christian. And I think at a really deep level, it was it was doing healing in my spirit that that needed to happen on that on that spiritual level and it was because of the anointing about the time that this revival was going on the brownsville revival started down in pensacola florida and so there were i had some friends and there was a woman in south missouri and she had taken it upon herself, actually it was a ministry for her, that she would take a busload of people down every six weeks uh, to Pensacola and they, we would stay the weekend. So my friends and I would drive the six hours down to Southern Missouri and get on the bus. It was 17 hours on the bus. <laughs> oh, that's just a hop, skip, and a jump. Very cozy. <laughs> it was amazing. She had this ministry and so... There was, uh, she would have movies of the Brownsville Revival and we'd watch them all the way down. So by the time we got there, we were pretty, pretty filled up with the Holy Spirit and ready to go. And um, so there I got to see even more things in the supernatural. And um, they, one day there was uh, some women, they were from South America and they were tumbling in the spirit. I don't know how to explain it, but they they had on long skirts and they were tumbling over each other that you could look at it and see that it was a spiritual thing. If that makes sense. It was beautiful. It was just amazing. Um, there was um, the, the evangelist at Pensacola was Stephen Hill. And after the services, all the kids would gather around him to try to get prayer. And so one night I decided to, to push up and see if I could, 
get into where I could get prayer. Well, that there were so many kids between him and I that there, it just wasn't going to happen. So our eyes met, and I reached out over the crowd, and he reached out, touched my fingers. And when he touched my fingers, the power of God was so strong on that man, it threw me backwards. I, I went back through the air about 10 feet, and there was a man sitting on the front row with his wife, and I landed right in his lap. <laughs> oh, my. I looked up at him, and he started laughing. His wife was laughing. It was so hilarious, but I never knew that that would be possible, that you could, you know, that the power of God could be so strong to actually take you off your feet and throw you backwards. Um, I sold gold dust down there. Uh, one night I was on the floor getting ministry from the Lord, and when I got up, there was all this sparkly. It looked like glitter on the, on the church pew. I thought somebody hadn't cleaned. It was like July, and I'm like, wow, they haven't cleaned this church since December. <laughs> but it was, it was gold, and when you pick it up, it was like oil on your fingers. Wow. Another thing that happened down there was the glory of God. The glory of God came so powerful one night after a service, and, and um, his glory was so powerful. It was on me for days and days and days. And I never experienced that to that extent before or since until I went to the advance last time. And uh, we had a night when they, there were a lot of uh, flags. Somebody had brought a bunch of flags to the advance. And I had missed that. I had missed that service because I was really tired and needed to just rest. So I'd gone back to my room to rest. And when I came in the door, I looked and all these flags were flying. Everybody in the room seemed like had one of these gigantic flags. They were so beautiful. And so I started walking toward the room and I, I was going to just walk into the room and I got to the, to the entranceway and I just couldn't move. I was just, I couldn't move. And um, within just a, just a couple minutes, the glory of God came down in that room and everybody holding the flag, they all ended up on the floor on their faces with these flags just rounded. And I was just, oh my gosh, the weight of the glory of God was so, so powerful. And um, later, the Lord told me that I, because I had, I, I grieved that I missed that. I really wanted to be in the middle of it, but I missed it. So I was standing on the side. And the Lord told me it's like I was a prophetic um, uh, demonstration that of the church, that because I was sleeping, because I had gone to take a nap, I wasn't there when the glory fell, and then I couldn't walk in. So I was held there at the entrance when the glory fell in the room. But it was an amazing, uh, it reminded me so much of those times at Brownsville. Wow. And uh, folks, if you didn't catch that, Jan is referencing the Bride Tribe Advance that we held this past spring. And, um, you know, here's the good news and the bad news. The good news is that there's another one coming in October. The bad news is that it's already sold out. <laughs> but the, 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 the fact of the matter is that, um, you know, 
some people look at the move of God's glory. They look at the supernatural and they say, this is of the devil. They're in the business of giving the devil all of the credit for what God is doing because they don't understand. And, and uh, I'm glad you're bringing some of this up because, you know, there's a lot of controversy around the Brownsville revival, but I'm convinced that in the middle of that, God was moving and there were some things that unfortunately happened. But, uh, you know, people get offended when you talk about angel feathers and gold dust and glory and, and the power of God, you know, moving people across the room. And, uh, but these are all things that I've seen with my own eyes. And uh, what I can tell you is that, no, God, God very much moves this way here and now. And, and our lack of encounter with that kind of a move of God is often a reflection of our heart condition and what we carry into our engagements with God. It's because we have an expectation of nothingness. We actually expect to encounter desert when we go to church. We expect silence when we go into prayer. We expect, and that's a heart condition. And, and, and when we do that, or when we carry accusation against the move of God in our hearts, we're putting ourselves on the outside of God's move. You know, one of the things that God does is this is he'll give us the desires of our heart. So if your desire is dryness at church, silence in prayer, and accusation against supernatural things, God will let you have exactly what you want, which will be desert, silence, and um, very little encounter. And he'll let you stay there as long as necessary until there's a heart change and a conviction that God actually has more for us as his people. And, you know, a bride, we have a, a huge conviction that, you know, there's a day coming where the glory of God will be so intense. People that have suffered a lifetime of mind control and intentional satanic ritual abuse will no longer require years of healing, but that's going to move to months and then weeks and then hours and eventually moments. I, and I think that there's a glory where that happens. I just don't think anyone's tapped it yet in the world. But it doesn't mean that we won't if we hold in our hearts a conviction that this is available in Christ Jesus. And so uh, thank you for you know, sharing all of that, Jan. It's, this is so good. I, I really have to totally agree with all of that. You know, I was only about a year old in the Lord when I started going to Brownsville, but I already had so many religious spirits in me that it, I probably made three or four trips down there before I get, got enough deliverance from the religious spirits to be able to enter in and really enjoy what was happening there. And it always, it always grieved my heart because I heard all the controversies. You know, if you haven't experienced it, how can you know? And, and I understand that. You know, I understand how people, I mean, they do the same thing today with the things that are going on in the progressive church, the one that's moving forward in what the Lord has. And it's so sad. I mean, we're so resistant as human beings, I think, to, to be able to go and keep up with God and what he's doing and you know, how he's opening things up for us. So uh, my prayer always is that the church will just enter in, just enter into what God's doing. And, and uh, don't judge it until you've been there and experienced it and enjoyed his presence in that, in that way. 
so the, at this time, while I was going down to Brownsville, I was getting deliverance at a deep level at the, at the revival because of the anointing. The anointing destroys the yoke. And so I was getting that kind of deliverance. But I was also traveling to other areas. Um, and the Lord, I didn't really have the funds at that time to pay for counseling. And I didn't have any counselors that were available that really knew the territory and what was involved in, in dealing with the SRA and the government stuff. So um, the Lord in his sovereignty just brought me to places where I got a little piece taken here and a little piece taken there. And um, everywhere from my aunt, when she led me to the Lord, she was only a few years old than the Lord herself. She'd never done deliverance, but she'd studied under Kenneth Hagin. So she knew when I, when I told her I had a demon, she just, you know, the Holy Spirit took over. She just flew into action. And I got delivered from that demon. Mm. Another time I went uh, with her to um, a little tiny congregation up in Iowa. They're, they're, it was just a group of people that got together and worshiped every week. And um, after the service, they asked if there was any prayer needs. And the, the woman who was in charge of that discerned that I had had ritual abuse in my background. That was the first time I'd encountered a word of knowledge. And I'm like, wow, how did you know that? So all the women um, surrounded me and started praying for me. And there were men there that night. And they made a circle around me facing out and prayed as the women on the inside of the circle uh, were praying for me. And I was a sinner. And again, now I've seen this again at the advance when the women were in the center of the circle and the men were on the outside. And that was so exciting for me to be able to see that again because it, you know, it was a, a fond memory that I had from way back then. So that was kind of exciting. Wow. 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 So, um, so, so you went through some other deliverance experiences um, yeah. going forward. Let's talk about some of those. So um, Brownsville, they had a deliverance team. And if you wanted to be in ministry there, you had to actually go through the deliverance process, which I think was an excellent, excellent idea for anybody that's going to be in ministry. But um, another little church in that town had offered up their building. And there were two people that actually went to Brownsville that were part of a prayer team in this little Methodist church. And so when we would go to the revival, um, the first morning we were there, we were invited to come to that little church. And so it was just, they would play worship music and it was just uh, very anointed and you could just go in and pray on your own. And then if you wanted prayer, you would just go up to the kneeling bench and they had a rail and uh, you would get prayer there. But they also um, uh, scheduled times of personal ministry so you could go in and get a personal time of deliverance and healing which i did and so there were uh, there were these two people and they had a third person who was a trainee she was just there to learn and so it ended up being just knock down drag out fight oh. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I manifested as a snake sliding around on the floor. Um, I had a, one of my arms, I was reaching in the air. It was like a, 
like a uh, fishing reel getting pulled out of my fingers. Like I, it was like a ribbon that you just, somebody just took a hold of and just pulled and it went on forever and ever and ever. And uh, I was on the floor. My arm was in the air. This thing was coming out of the end of my fingers. The train E got excited and reached over and grabbed my hand. And that's all I heard was this big scream. She got knocked backwards and the thing was still coming out of my hand. They took her out of the room. She didn't come back. Um, it was just one of those things that I you know who would ever expect to see something like that. They were trying to get to a Jezebel spirit the whole time. The, the whole session lasted four hours. And then the people that were doing it, ended, they had jobs. They had to leave. So we had to just put everything away. Jezebel never, they never got her out. So I sat on her for six weeks while I went home. And uh, we came back six weeks later to the revival again and went back to the little Methodist church. And this time I was just in the, in the sanctuary and I went up to the rail to pray and another uh, prayer minister came over and touched my forehead. And when he did, Jezebel, I think, was just right up front and center. When he touched my hair, I came off my knees, flew backwards, landed on my back on the floor. There was a woman about 10 feet to my right, and she screamed. And all the prayer ministers jumped over the rail and ran to her because whatever came out of me went into her. And oh, no! <laughs> what you hope never happens during a service. It's like, ah! <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I'm on my back thinking, hey, guys, I'm over here. You know, well, it was already out of me and into her. So, oh, my goodness. Yeah. But they, they took care of it. So it was all good. So I was getting these little bits and bits and pieces taken out here, there, and everywhere, it seemed like. Um, um, I went to, I found out there were some prayer ministries being birthed that were actually doing work with SRA. And so I got a couple intensives where I would just go and, and spend uh, three or four days and get a little another chunk of work done. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, the revival's going on. Um, the, the little Pentecostal church we were attending was a very small congregation. The, the pastor didn't have a lot of help. It was a lot of work having services every night of the week. And uh, he was ready to quit, but the, the, uh, the evangelist was still going strong. And so I was back in my church home where I lived. And one day and the Lord spoke to me and he says, I want you to give the church back to him, to the Lord. And I was so in love with Jesus, I would have done anything. I mean, it didn't, I didn't even have to think. And so I went to the revival service that night and I told the evangelist that the Lord had told me to give the church mm. to him so that we could continue the revival because they were going to shut it down. And so he was so nice. He says, well, Jan, <laughs> this might just be an Isaac thing and uh, we'll just pray about it and see. And so we did for a year. We prayed about it. But in the meantime, we moved the revival into the church. I moved out and took an apartment. <laughs> and the revival continued on. And so people were coming from all over town. And it was, 
It and this was, was in your hometown. This was in my hometown. This was the church that I had, that I lived in, that right. the angels came, that the Lord did all the deliverance in. It was the, the evangelist called it my honeymoon, my honeymoon suite with the Lord because the Lord was there, you know, to help me just get started on, on the journey, really. Mm. So that was amazing. Really amazing. Wow. There was so, it was so hard to get help back then because first off there wasn't that much help available people weren't trained up yet but another thing that still goes on i think with survivors today is there's so much programming against not talking and for me uh, that started very early on we had a local cult and uh, i just want to tell this memory but i will i will give a trigger warning because it is pretty graphic but i do want to tell it because um, it does show how much they concentrate on making sure you never remember. And if you do remember, you never tell. And so um, my dad was, I had a man with him and I was in the back seat of a car and we were driving along um, downtown and there was a woman walking along the sidewalk. And my dad pulled over and I can't remember who was in the seat with him. I think it might've been my grandfather. But um, they started talking to this woman through the, win through the window. And she just came over to the car and talked to them. I don't know what they were talking about. But eventually, they invited her to get in the car. And so I don't know if they told her they were going to take her somewhere, give her a ride or what. But she got in the backseat of the car. And they drove out into the country to a location where we had a cult meeting going. And um, I'll talk. The story is pretty long. I'm going to try to shorten it down because the bottom line is, as the children that were being programmed in the cult, we were called up, put in chairs, told that we were a jury. And this woman was going to be put on trial because she had, quote unquote, talked about things that had happened. Now, this woman was... I. I didn't know her. I don't think she was a cult member. I don't think she knew anything. She was just somebody they picked up on the street. Mm -hmm. And so there was a judge there and they had this mock trial and, and the children, we all knew we had to find her guilty. There was no choice here. We had to find her guilty. And they ended up impaling her on a pole in front of us. And it was very, very, very gruesome. And of course, I killed her. And, um, that night, my aunt was staying with me. We were just three years apart. And I remember we got home and we were talking about it because they did a lot of things that were staged, but this thing wasn't staged. This was real. And so we were whispering to each other about, was that real? Did that really happen? Um, and my mother came in and caught us talking. And then she reminded us of what had happened to this woman. And it just left such a, um, a deep, deep, deep impact, a demonstration of this is what's going to happen to you if you tell the stories. And so I was thinking about that the other day of, um, you know, so many things have changed in the, uh, the area of programming for the cults. Uh, you know, I was... I was mostly programmed during the 50s 
So all of the stuff they were doing back then is totally different from what they're doing now. Mm-hmm. And um, we came, up, we did some work recently um, about some no talk uh, programming that I wanted to share with everybody. And so, yes, just dive right in. Okay. <laughs> so I had, um, I had been working with the Lord and um, he had, uh, he had told me that I'd had some, about a week of really, really hard warfare going on. And it was at a very, very, very deep level. And I just couldn't shake it loose. I couldn't figure out what was going on. And it was just, I told the Lord, I said, I feel like my feet are in hell. And the Lord said, it's more like your whole body is in hell. Ooh. And so he told me that um, he started showing me um, a, a field. He called it a field of dreams. And it was like a huge football field. And it had soldiers all in rank and file on both ends of the field facing each other like a war. It was a scene of a war. And, um, and I knew that it had something to do with uh, uh, telling secrets uh, out of turn, telling family business. And of course, I've been in all this, you know, I've been <laughs> telling a lot of family, a lot of family business. <laughs> so no surprise. <laughs> so when we came for counseling, I had, uh, I had written up what the Lord had given me. And uh, so we decided to go after it and see what happened. So you powered up in prayer, and uh, I looked to see where we were. I think you had your finder out, and we ended up in, I think, Baghdad or somewhere around Baghdad. And uh, I found myself going down some stairs, um, and they were like switchback stairs. So we went down about four levels, I think. And when I came out of the stairway, I ended up on a balcony, a real high balcony. And when I looked out from the balcony, I could see, uh, I could see not only this, uh, this football field uh, oblong square thing, but there was also superimposed on that an oval, round oval. And it looked like, um, like, the, like the, um, the Roman stadiums where they crucified Christians or, you know, kill Christians. Good. And so the Lord spoke to me that it was, they were holographs. They were both holographs. And so um, um, I saw the soldiers on the end of the field and it turned out that they were holographs. The soldiers themselves were holographs and um, they were tethered to family members and on the other side of the field would be the survivor that had spoken out a turn and they would be surrounded by shell soldiers they would be surrounded by soldiers that didn't have any power so basically the scenario is if you've talked out a turn you're taken at night in your sleep and taken to this field of dreams and you face your accusers which are in holograph form and you fight to the death and you die and 
all the all the while they siphon off the energy from this to feed back into the the members the family and so i don't understand all the dynamics of it but that that's the basics that the lord told me of how how it operates how it works so what you're saying and, and this is the thing folks uh Jan is describing to you very thoroughly a mm, system of control that they are using right now. Uh, well, what frustrates me is trying to sit down and tell people, pastors, leaders, apostles, I mean, you name it, uh, Many people in the body of Christ, leaders or not, cannot accept the fact that they are integrating technology into their control mechanisms and deceptions and, 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 and uh, trauma-inducing exploits. And a lot of people, they know this, they have major problems while they're sleeping. They're dying in their dreams. They're going through torment. They wake up and they feel like part of them is missing. They're getting drugged in their dreams, injections. Sometimes they wake up with marks on their skin or physical implants under their body. And yet we're still in this cognitive dissonance. Like, oh, yeah, no, that's nothing's happening. Excuse me. Something's happening. Now, with this particular program, it's a reinforcement. You have to stay quiet or you will die. And they're using a hologram, holographic program to do it. And they're pulling people's soul parts through a route in the spirit, whether it's a, a ley line or just some kind of uh, pathway or, or wormhole that they open. Um, to those coordinates to put them through that to shut the person down in their physical lives. And this, this kind of stuff is happening all around the world to people young and old. And, and, and they use these kinds of strategies on children all the time. Some parents, they just cannot understand why their kids have so many problems, night terrors, different things. And what we haven't understood is that people are getting programmed in their sleep and they are leaning on holographic technologies and quantum technologies and things beyond that to do it right now is how it's happening. And so uh, let this be <laughs> a wake up call. So, so Jen, I want to thank you for, for, for breaking that down. Yeah. Um, well, the Lord revealed that these centers were all over the earth and they, they're all netted together and that uh, the centers are run by overlords. And then the overlords are, controlled by a judge and the judge is on a council of 12. So you powered up. <laughs> all <laughs> the judge and the overlords into court. <laughs> I saw, I saw what looked like the courtroom and I saw you facing this judge like face off. 
And then um, I heard you say you were putting on a glove. And I thought, well, that's kind of odd, a glove. And you reached your hand into the mechanism that was producing the holograph. And it just started blowing, <laughs> blowing the whole thing. <laughs> Sparks were flying everywhere. And the, um, the overlords that hadn't come in yet, they were, getting they were getting reeled in. Like, it reminded me of my mother used to have this ringer wash machine. And it's like these guys were all getting hauled in, like, because they were all strung together with this netting of some sort worldwide. So anyway, they all got hauled in. And then I saw the, the field of dreams and all these holographic soldiers out on the field of dreams. And you call them all into rank and file because they were all in chaos. They were like running or scrambling or something. And so you call them into rank and file. And then I just saw as you were had your hand in this holograph machine, they started popping up and down like popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me of those little kid toys where you push one down and the other one pops up kind of thing. It was so funny. It was hilarious. And so um, back in the courtroom, uh, the, the, um, all the overlords got, got sent to prison. They got filed out in, in prison. But this judge was standing there. And when I looked back from the field of dreams back to the courtroom, the judge is standing there naked. And you were you were praying this whole time, and I, you said something about naked, but it was after I saw him that way, and I'm like, oh my gosh! <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, um, it ended up uh, the Lion of Judah had come with us on this trip. He's the one that showed me where to go and everything, and so he was there. Jesus was there, and. Um, uh, it ended up that this judge got sent back to his council of 12, naked, exposed, because he failed assignment. And I mean, that's what the Lord decided to do with him, was to send him back in this state of shame and nakedness. And I saw as he's leaving the courtroom and walking out the door, the Lord, the Lion of Judah just turned his back and his tail just went smack. <laughs> <laughs> right on the back of that guy it was so funny you, you know gosh uh jan here's the deal right so there's two two sides to this message right first i'm sitting here crying out for help help me jesus convince these people that these things are real but there's actually a reason why, folks. Why do I want to take my time and keep telling people, you know, getting slapped with that left foot of fellowship and left hand of fellowship? You know, but it's, I won't quit. I'm not going to stop. I, you know, Dan, why can't you just tell, dial back on your podcast? Stop talking about this weird stuff. Just be normal. Like, no, why don't you be normal? I'm a kingdom citizen. What are you doing? Like, the thing is, God can't use us to be part of the solution set until we agree with him that the problem exists. Now, how can the Holy Spirit train you to reach into their technology with your spiritual like wrecking ball glove and crush their stuff if you don't even 
agree that there is such stuff, even though the individual could sit there in front of your face and tell you, this is what I'm going through. See, we're just used to in the body of Christ getting away with this line. Oh, you know, that's not real. You know, go get some medication from your psychologist or your psychiatrist. You're crazy. Like this is the way the spirit realm really works. There are little angel babies. They have harps and there's God and then there's us. That's it. You know, Satan is actually, he's just a, like, like a, um, an object lesson, right? That's what Satan is. And, you know, we're so backwards and impotent in our capacity to carry the glory, the power of God to change and transform nations and people's lives. And, and it drives me nuts, right? So, so now here Jan is saying the story of testimony that if I said it myself, half of you probably wouldn't even believe me. Maybe you would by now. But yeah, you know, you step into your human spirit and you get activated the way I am. You can definitely tap into their technologies on a quantum level and tear their stuff up from the spirit world. That becomes the, uh, uh, the next level of where God is opening his people up into. I, I'm a forerunner. There will be thousands and tens of thousands of people reaching into holographic technologies through the spirit as believers in the name of Jesus and tearing their stuff to shreds. Grids uh, around the earth, quantum computers. You know what? I'm going to tell you this. Devils, you can't keep us out of your stuff because the Bible says on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Those are spiritual gates, technological gates. I don't care what kind of gates you are. I'm coming for you in Jesus name. <laughs> and I'm going to bring some people with me. I might tell 10 and two are going to come, but I'm going to get those two. <laughs> Somebody's got to shame the devil find a demon and slap him in Jesus name. All right. So I'm done. I, I, I have to, I have to come back to my guests. I'm sorry, folks. I, I just, uh, you know, Jen, you, you wanted to uh, bring up a story. Uh, you mentioned it earlier and you said, I'll get to it later. And it has to do with an abduction experience that you had. That's all we know. So I want to let you come back to that and um, explain that to us because I, I don't want to leave people on the edge of their seats. Oh my. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I skipped right over that one. Um, well, I was in the service for four years in the Air Force. And when I got out, I, I went back home. I got, you know, homesick. <laughs> and I hadn't not, I didn't know anything about my history yet. Nothing. Absolutely. And I bought a house. It was like a three-story brick house that had gargoyles all over it. And I, uh, my dad helped me that winter. My dad and my brother helped me and we restored it and remodeled it and worked on it all winter. And um, I think the local cult was trying to get me to use, to agree to use that building for some meetings. And I, I think I was not cooperating with that agenda. So I, the doorbell rang one day on the front door, which we never, I never used the front door. I was still single. I wasn't married. And so um, I always used the back door because it led into the kitchen, but the doorbell was on the front door and it rang and I went to the door and there was my dad. And so I didn't think anything about it. I just opened the screen door. And as he stepped inside, there was another man behind him, which I didn't see. And they both walked into my living room and the other man was what I call an enforcer for the cult. Mm. And he had a gun. Mm. 
And uh, I, uh, I switched out immediately when I saw him, I'm sure. And uh, Mary Agnes came forth and she was the cult. She was the little, you know, devil in the cult and knew all the programming, knew all the everything. And so she came out to take charge. And this man ended up drugging me and um, they took me out of the house and took me to a, what looked like a car repair place and uh, took me upstairs to an office and left me there. Mary Agnes uh, was really, I mean, we were really drowsy by that time because of the drugging. And uh, there was a telephone there and she went over and got on the telephone and dialed operator. There wasn't 911 in those days. We just had the operator. And then you call, ask for the police. And that's what Mary Agnes was going to do, was call the police. And so, but the operator um, could tell that she wasn't an adult and ask how old she was. And she said, I'm four. And she says, they're going to kill me. And well, who? Well, my daddy, my daddy took me. And I mean, you know, the conversation was a four-year-old conversation with this operator that didn't know what was going on on the other end. And um, the, um, the cult leader showed up and walked into the office and grabbed the phone from her. And then that was the end of the conversation. So um, they ended up taking me to another room uh, uh, downstairs. And he had a, he had a machine that was uh, like, uh, it was electrical and it was like a cattle prod. And they used it a lot in programming because it would, it would just, uh, it really messed you up big time. And so uh, he proceeded to, he was trying to get to Mary Agnes. By this time, she had gone back inside. And so he started uh, calling forth different parts. And as each part would come forth, he would use this pep, uh, this uh, cattle prod on me and in me to, until the part would die. Mm, mm. And so this went, I don't know how long it went on. It went on for a, a very long time. I had a lot of parts. They all died. They all died. Mary Agnes was the last one to come out and she died. I say died, but died in the sense that they were no longer functioning. They were no longer a functioning part. And so um, that night, they, there, were, there was the cult leader, my father and three other men showed up. Two of them were friends of the family, but also cult members. The third one actually uh, was a deacon in our Baptist church. This happened, I was, um, well, I was 28 years old when it happened, but it took me back to memories of when I was eight, nine years old. This deacon, that was the deacon in our church when I was, eight and nine was then became a judge. And so I don't think he was a judge yet when this happened, but it wasn't long after that, but he, he was an attorney already. So it wasn't long after that he became a judge. And uh, he actually was a father of a pastor in our town of a very large prison church. And I don't know if the path, I, I love the pastor. He's, I, I don't think he was called, but you know, I don't know that for sure, but um, his dad certainly was. It ended up, they all raped me that night over and over again, just to add to the trauma of what, what had already happened. 
And so um, the next day, they took me out into the country, and there was a school bus, an abandoned school bus out there. They said there were rattlesnakes on the bus. Now, I was, in, I was pretty delirious by now and uh, probably a little psychotic at this point. And so they put me on the bus and locked the door and then shot guns into the, into the bus. So in my mind, I was on the bus. They were trying to kill me, which I don't think they were trying to kill me, but I thought they were trying to kill me because of these bullets coming through this bus. And I thought there were rattlesnakes on the bus, which I still don't know for sure if there were or not, but they told me they were. I believed it. And so then... Um, the third part of that memory was that I was taken into a ritual after that. And I still don't have the memory of that ritual. But uh, the part that was remaining when everything was over was my part, John. And I've talked about him in other podcasts. Yes. And he was told that um, they were going to take me back home. And um, he was, John was told that um, we would have the flu, that if anybody asked, we had the flu. And sure enough, I did have the flu symptoms for several days after that memory. Um, at the time this happened, I was dating a guy from Texas. I don't even remember where I met him or how I met him, but he was in my life and he was there um, uh, taking care of me when I was reviving you know, from this whole mess. And then he disappeared. He left. I never heard from him again. And I've often suspected that he was maybe a programmer that they had brought in for that to, to reprogram me. So then that was in 78. So those parts were dead inside. And John only made it a few days and couldn't handle life on the outside. So he created me, Jan as a new personality to take over. And so then I was in charge of the body from 1978 until the, till I started finding all the parts inside and bringing them to the pond and letting them come and do drawings and journaling. And that was in 1990. So in all those years, I was, uh, I was in charge, but I'd been created in 78 by John to take over the body. So, my, my, my. Um, and, you know, a lot of, and I just can point this out, and a lot of people uh, identify with not being able to remember their childhood. Uh, when they go through the list of symptoms of DID, they see, you know, childhood blackouts, large portion of the childhood missing. And they think back to their childhood and they're like, I don't remember my childhood at all. And people have asked me, why, why is it that you don't remember your childhood? Well, one of the reasons is because the presenter was created at the tail end of childhood as the part responsible for taking the body into adulthood. And um, in your case, that was Jan. Um, and in other people's cases, it's just whoever's at the surface. And so if you are created that late in the game, that part, that presenter wasn't around for 
five and six and seven and eight and nine and 10 and 11 and all the traumas and all the programming and everything else. And so it becomes much easier to understand why there's a blackout on the whole childhood. And how much of your childhood did you as Jen remember, you know, going back to the eighties? Um, I, you know, my first sexual abuse memories came in 84, mm. but up until that point, I had no negative memories of childhood. I mean, not even ordinary spankings. And I, to me, my family was perfect. I only had, you know, what you would call good memories. So basically all the sexual abuse was totally blocked out completely. The violence was totally blocked out. But that was like at the first level. And then below that was all these cult memories. And they were even deeper down. And then below that was all this government stuff, which was really deep down. So, you know, it's been a progression of trying to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the memories. But to begin with, I my mother was perfect. My father was perfect. I mean, I came from a perfect home, had a perfect childhood. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Until it all fell in <laughs> in nineteen <Wow>. <laughs> Well, Jen, we have time, I think, for one more story before what? we end this podcast. One more story. And 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 so I wanna let you talk about um one more story. I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> I want to backtrack for just a minute because yeah. earlier you were talking about, uh, you know, how hard it is to engage with the spirit realm. And I, one of the things the Lord has told me is that when I see, I see things in a familiar way because I couldn't describe them or understand them if I saw them in the way they really are. So when I saw the field of dreams, I saw it in, familiar, in things that I'm familiar with, you know, human forms, football fields, uh, you know. And so that's the reason that's so hard to navigate and that, that it, being able to see it in a familiar form then allows you to put language to it. Otherwise, it's hard to put language. So, but the other thing is that, you know, as a survivor, especially with all this government uh, programming and everything it's so difficult to accept even when the memory comes the acceptance is so hard because it's so far out of the normal uh what people normally know about yes it's difficult so that's what this memory i want to talk about is where i encountered that and um i woke i woke up one night and i was what I thought was a dream. I thought it was in a dream, but really I was in, and you can probably explain this better than I can. I was in a state of, I was in my soul someplace else engaging with other people. And it seemed like a dream, but when I woke up, it was still going on. And so, yeah. So when I woke up, I was engaged with these men and they were in uniforms, but they had like, uh, clown clothes or something over the top of their uniforms. So you couldn't actually see their uniforms. And as I came to consciousness and woke up, 
I realized that I was in someplace I didn't belong. I wasn't in my bedroom. I was someplace else. And so I started to panic inside and I started to call on Jesus. And when I did, this one man said, Jesus doesn't live here anymore. And he was laughing. And so we had been working with the Lion of Judah. So I said, well, then you probably don't know the Lion of Judah. And when I did, it snapped me out of that. It brought me back into my body in, at a conscious level. And so I couldn't figure out what that was all about. I, because uh, these men, I, I felt like I knew them, that they weren't strangers necessarily. I'd also asked them who they were. And the one guy said, well, we're the NSA, but they call us the BSA. Joking still. Hmm. And so I wrote this all out and we had a counseling session that day. And so when we came to the counseling session and I started telling the story, uh, I think maybe you had your finder again. I, I don't remember specifically, but I, I was aware that I had soul parts that were in clone bodies that were seven levels under the Pentagon. And they were in a laboratory. And I had, I had already rescued parts out of laboratories that were in internal systems. So I, I recognized, I knew that I could have parts in laboratories. That wasn't hard to believe. But you immediately, you know, went into prayer like you usually do. And um, you developed a portal right over the top of them and pulled them out of their clone bodies. So my soul fragments got rescued instantly. And you asked Jesus to provide a safe place for them, which he showed me an island somewhere out in the middle of a huge ocean. And they were put there with angels and they were actually put to sleep because they were sort of in a, in a, a panic themselves by this time. Hmm. And so as we leave this scene, I see the peop the men that were in that, in that, um, laboratory with them. I heard them joking and laughing and saying it must have been a rapture. And so I don't know what happened to those clone bodies. <laughs> when my parts got taken out of there, but I don't know what happened. So after the counseling session, I was, I was like, this was the first time I'd experienced anything. I mean, Pentagon, my parts in the Pentagon, and I'm like, I was really, really struggling with this memory. So I said, Lord, I need confirmation. I need to know this is real. I mean, this is just too far fetched for me. I need something to go on. So it wasn't like two days later, um, I'm on YouTube and this video pops up and it's about uh, QAnon. It turns out that QAnon reported that there was uh, a little um, something going on between the NSA and the CIA and they were having a little squabble and computers were going down and going offline and they were blaming each other. This is how I interpreted the whole thing. And this all happened the very exact same hours, two hours that we had our counseling session. And it was like, I just, this light bulb just went on. I'm like, oh my gosh. 
I, I was like, oh my gosh. But it gave me the confirmation. I'd asked the Lord for it, and here it was. And I couldn't deny it. I had to just like, okay, Lord, okay. So it was probably four months after that, I came across another YouTube video where they're talking about this incident that happened when all these computers went down and come to find out they had lost some satellites because of that outage. Some of the satellites got uh, put back online, but some of them got taken out completely. One of them, I think, that got taken out was a satellite that they actually used to, uh, to do mind control. So that was, that was pretty exciting to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, folks, this is an exciting world. Uh, being on the front lines and just going after the healing and deliverance and then getting the reports on the back end. You know, there's a lot of things that, I mean, and this is one of them, you know, Jan is doing her research and she'll come back to me and say this and this and such and such. I, I don't know that I have a full grid for it yet. I'm just listening as well. I'm like, really? <laughs> that happened? What? Wow. You know, um, but you know, the good news is that God is on the move and Jesus Christ is King and everyone's going to know about it. The Bible says the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And that's, that's the word. And so Jan, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story, uh, for opening up, for being vulnerable uh, and for being brave. Thank you, Dan, again. Thank you. And I have to say, I think you should get some more of those gloves, patent them, and sell them on your website. Okay, come on now. <laughs> Who wants to buy the hologram crusher mitts? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, folks, that's all we have for today. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. This podcast is a production of Bride Ministries International. Visit our website at brideministriesinternational.com to enjoy the Bride Ministries Church, the Bride Ministries Institute, free resources, and to support us financially.